Ah, good morning. It's good to be here this morning. I am just uh, both excited and terrified to be here today. <laughs> excited to be here, terrified to be up here. Uh, good morning. My name's Evan Litweiler. I'm one of the elders here at Northfield. And it would be my prayer today that you would be drawn closer to Jesus today. Would you pray with me before I start? Lord, I thank you for the opportunity that we all have to be here this morning, and I pray that your spirit would speak to each one of us, that you would speak directly to our hearts where we need to hear what you're saying. And I just pray that your word would come alive and that uh, we could be challenged, including myself. And we commit this time to you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. So today is part two of a two-part study on loving God and loving others that four of us elders are bringing to you. And it's not that one elder couldn't pull this off themselves, <laughs> but rather once in a while we like to do a sermon series together because it gives you an opportunity to hear how the different personalities and perspectives come out in our teaching. So each one of us is a little different, so it won't all sound the same. Last week, Bill and Matt taught on Mark 12, verses 28 through 30, where Jesus said, the, uh, where Jesus said, the most important commandment is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, with all your strength, or excuse me, with all your mind and with all your strength. And today, Tim and I will conclude with verses 31 through 33, where Jesus said, the second most important commandment is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandments greater than these. So, <laughs> love God with all, and love your neighbor how much? I don't know how many of you know Mr. Rogers, of course, if you're about 25 years old or younger, you might not even have a clue who that is, but anyway, other than Mr. Rogers, who really loves their neighbor as much as they love themselves? As I read these verses, they sound really good. The world would be a much better place if we would all abide by them. But I don't know about you, but I think Jesus' words are very challenging if you stop and really think about it. The words, love God with all, is that possible? And today's verse about loving our neighbor as ourselves how do you do that? Love your neighbor as you would yourself. So in your bulletin, there's an insert there that has both Tim's notes, or I should say outline, and mine. And if you want to follow along with that, uh, you can write in some notes as well. And uh, one of the things for, for mine, the second uh, point should be 
who is my neighbor, not how is my neighbor. So just for clarification's sake there. But how much, uh, excuse me, my first point is how much do I love myself? Do you love yourself? I bet you do. <laughs> In this verse, Jesus implies that you love yourself because he uses you as an example or a measure of how much you should love your neighbor. You actually set the bar. How much do you want to be loved? That's how much you and I should love our neighbors. It's actually good for us to love ourselves. This verse does not say that we should not love ourselves. It'd be very difficult to love others if you didn't love yourself. In Ephesians 5, uh, Ephesians 5 addresses how husbands and wives should treat each other. And in verse 29 it says, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. It's good for us to love ourselves. So if you're having trouble loving yourselves, I can only guess you might be hard to live with. However, if you're dealing with depression or struggling with something in your life, you may not love yourself very much. And if that's you, please talk to someone about that because God wants you to love yourself. He loves you. Yes, we should love ourselves. But how much do we love ourselves? Whether we want to admit it or not, we really love ourselves. We love ourselves a lot. We like to be comfortable, well-fed, and entertained. We get irritated if things don't go our way, and we don't like it when we don't get what we want when we want it. Fair? <laughs> but watch out, though. If we get too full of ourselves and fall into selfishness and pride, we will love ourselves in ways beyond what Jesus intended. However, it does challenge us to think about, how, about what it would be like if we loved our neighbors as much as ourselves. Sometimes we find ourselves in challenging situations that make us realize just how much we love or don't love our neighbor. We may discover how selfish we are in situations like if we share an office with somebody or if we share a room with a brother or sister, if we work on a project together with another person or if we're helping out our neighbor next door. So my second point, who is my neighbor? Who do we think of if we ask ourselves, who is my neighbor? If you think of a neighbor, you might think about someone who lives next door or the next cubicle over from you. Or um, 
It could be somebody that you go to school with or take walks with or could be people here at church. Sometimes you might meet a new neighbor in need that you don't even know. A neighbor might be somebody who has a flat tire on the highway and needs some help. Or someone that, put, that the Lord puts in your life unexpect, with an unexpected need. Have you ever been that neighbor? Sometimes you might see a neighbor who you find difficult to love. So what do you do with someone who stands on a street corner holding a cardboard sign asking for money? I'm going to admit, I often struggle with these neighbors. I don't know what the right thing to do is. Sometimes I'll give them something. But a lot of times I just feel like going to McDonald's, but not to get them any food, get them a job application. I'll be honest. Sometimes that's how it feels. But I don't know if that's really loving my neighbor. I've never been homeless, and I don't know what it's like. Maybe I don't understand. I'm sure I don't. Sometimes God puts people in our lives to see if we will love them, or sometimes to stretch us. <laughs> Would you or I have a hard time loving our neighbor if they put up some of these in their yard? We will always encounter people that will challenge our ability to love. Maybe more important than what, what does a good neighbor do is to be a good neighbor. We are told in our verse today, we are to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. But Jesus also gives us an example that we are to be a good neighbor. In Luke 10, in Luke 10, 25 through 37, is the uh, parable of the Good Samaritan. And Luke, yeah, Luke 10, 25 says, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he desired to justify himself, said to Jesus, Well, who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was and saw him and had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave, gave them to the innkeeper, saying, 
Take care of him, and whatever you spend, I will repay you when I come back. When, which, of these, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell along, among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. In this story, we learn that you will have opportunities to be a neighbor to someone in need. And rather than checking a box of something that we do, a good, uh, to be a good neighbor is probably one of the best ways that we can love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Another thing that makes these verses very challenging is that these verses are not suggestions. They are commands. Jesus isn't saying some nice things for us to consider. He's telling us how we are to live, not giving us options. So how is this possible? Some people are just hard to love. Today there could be uh, there could be some neighbor who needs you. And sometimes we are just hard to love. You might be the neighbor that's in need. In Matthew 6, 21, it says, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Is Christ your treasure? If not, it will be hard for you to love your neighbor. Is love for God and for others just naturally in us? So how can we love our neighbors more? So the answer I think we can find in, in the scripture. I'm going to give you a little homework for those of you who want it. So this week, if you're needing something to do for devotions or maybe some things for your life group, consider reading 1 John chapter 4, starting at verse 7, and reading through to chapter 5, verse 5. If you take just a few verses a day, uh, this sermon could be wrapped up in those verses. They're very encouraging. My third point where does love come from? Love for God and love for your neighbor. In 1 John 4, verses 7 and 8, seems to me that was a cabin song back about 40 years ago. <laughs> Beloved, let us love one another, for, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Leads me right into my fourth point. Why do we love God? Also in 1 John, uh, verse 19, 
If you're looking at a Pew Bible or an NIV, which the Pew Bible is a, a ESV, verse 19 reads, we love because he first loved us. If you're looking at a King James Bible right now, you're reading that same verse and it says, we love him because he first loved us. And if by chance you're, you're looking at a New Living Translation, that same verse reads, we love each other because he first loved us. God is the source of love, and the only way that we can truly love God, rightly love ourselves, and love our neighbors is to have Christ living inside of us. Not because God has love, but because God is love. Are you experiencing the love of God in your life right now? Over and over, uh, when we read about difficult things that we should do, there are always examples of how Christ did them himself first. And that he's willing to help us, even to even help us to do them as well. Loving our neighbor as ourself is something that we need God's grace to do and God's grace to receive as well. If we struggle to love our neighbor as ourselves sometimes, that's actually a good thing. If we don't love our neighbor as ourselves and that doesn't bother us, that's a problem. Christ is our example. Even when we were unlovable, Christ chose to love us. Romans 5, 8 says, God showed his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Tim's going to come up next, and he's going to wrap up our series, teaching us some ways to love our neighbor with our actions reminding us that Christ is our example, how we need to spend time with the Father, reading his word, and looking to him for strength to be obedient to him, to love our neighbor. Tim? Good morning, my name is Tim Barrow, and I wanna continue our message uh, as it says, loving your neighbor as yourself through our actions. I'm going to set the stage uh, today of the verses we're going to be using. Um, Jesus has entered um, the final days of his ministry. He's come into uh, the city of Jerusalem, the triumphant, triumphant entry uh, he has done, and now he has been teaching uh, at the temple each day. So in Luke, 21, it says, each day Jesus was teaching at the temple, and each evening he went out to spend the night on the hill called the Mount of Olives. And all the people came early in the morning to hear him at the temple. Well, I want to give you a modern look of what standing on the Mount of Olives is. Um, Ann and I had the um, humbling experience to go to Jerusalem about eight, day, um, eight weeks ago, and we got to experience standing on the Mount of Olives. 
It is a very humbling experience. And they say, when you read the Bible, it's in black and white. When you go to Israel, it turns it to color. And that is a true statement. It brings it to life. So, Jesus taught and he prayed and he wept over Jerusalem. 19 of Luke, it says, as he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it. So, I want to poke a little fun at this great American tourist. This is the epitome of an American tourist. You can see the oversized uh, fanny pack with the water bottle. Got the map in hand, and they are ready. Actually, the only thing that's missing is that big camera hanging off the neck. But what you're looking at is, again, from the Mount of Olives, down through the Kidron Valley, and back up into Jerusalem. So you're actually looking at the eastern gate, the eastern wall of Jerusalem. You can see the gold dome there, um, dome on the rock. Um, we did not get to tour that, but it is there. Again, um, Jesus spent a lot of time standing on the Mount of Olives overlooking Jerusalem and weeping and praying for it. He had such a deep love for the city and God's chosen people. Matthew 23, 37, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you are not willing. These are the words of Jesus, and they show such a deep love and longing for his people to see the light of his salvation, to be close to him and to know him. Getting back to this picture of standing on the Mount of Olives, when we started to enter Jerusalem on the bus, the bus driver put on a song called Jerusalem, Jerusalem, and the bus went deathly quiet. And we just took the moment in. It's a moment I never want to forget as we drove up the road. And the bus driver, I know he's driven that road many, many times. He was even crying as he entered Jerusalem. This next set of pictures is we are standing still on the Mount of Olives, or yeah, the Mount of Olives, and this is one of the pathways down from the Mount of Olives through the Garden of Gethsemane into Jerusalem. The pictures do not do it justice, but it is extremely steep. Uh, the poor lady in the middle picture is struggling to come up that pathway. But again, I just want you to know some of that and what what the Bible is teaching us through standing on the Mount of Olives. Because just a couple days with where we're standing, Jesus told Peter and John, go make preparations for us to eat the Passover. So if you want to take out your pew Bible, it's, pew, uh, it's page number 900. We are going to position ourselves in John 13. Uh, again, it's page 900.
Verse 1, it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After he poured the water into a a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Now I want to skip down to verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, no one, very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So this happened at the Last Supper. Again, I want to bring some color to this talk this morning. This is the building, I should say, this is a building, but it is the place where they believe that the Last Supper was held. So this could be considered the airspace. The buildings get built, they get torn down, built, get torn down over the ages, but this is where they believe the Last Supper took place. Jesus gave us the greatest example of sacrificially serving as he washed all of the disciples' feet. Jesus already knew that Judas was going to betray him, yet he washed his feet as well. You see, sacrificial serving is not a one-for-one proposition. It is all about giving and loving just as Jesus did and expecting nothing in return. Today we're going to explore three areas of grace that empower us to serve others. They are having the mind of Christ, life by the Spirit, and obedience. We must put on the mind of Christ to be able to serve as Jesus did. And in Philippians 2, 5 and 8, in your relationship with one another, have the mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself. Jesus did this for his disciples, and we are called to do the same here on this earth. 
As I was preparing this message, I thought of a lot of you in this congregation who serve sacrificially, who are serving and who have served sacrificially. But I kept going back to one couple, and it's actually Ann's uncle and aunt, Jim and Angie Herring in Ohio. Ever since I came into the Stuber family 38 plus years ago, they have been serving sacrificially day in and day out. They have people into their home daily, weekly, monthly. And again, they serve them sacrificially. They serve them all the same way with their hospitality. I struggle when someone comes to my house and stays too long. I'm just going to be honest with you. I love my private, personal space, and I get a little cranky when that gets disrupted. My flesh is strong, and only God could give me the strength to achieve serving sacrificially. We read in Philippians 2, have the mindset as Christ Jesus. What is this mind of Christ? Well, it's selfless, servant-centered. It is humble and an obedient mind. So how can I? How can Tim Barrow have the mind of Christ? I am selfish. I'm prideful. I'm wicked. I'm a sinner. Let's take a look at what Romans 12 says. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good and pleasing perfect will. You see, renewing our minds is a process. It's not a single event. It's a process. And when we, call, we are called daily to renew our minds. We can only obtain the mind of Christ by reading, studying, praying, and meditating on the word of God daily. And we spend time in God's loving presence. Then we begin to serve like Christ by having a godly mindset through the washing of the word and through his Holy Spirit living in me, in you. Philippians 2, 12 and 13 reads, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in, a, in order to fulfill his good purpose. So once I accept Jesus into my life, I am given the ability to have the mind and heart of Christ through his spirit. And I must work out my salvation through obedience. Let me explain that. God gives us his spirit and his direction on how to have godly thinking how to work out our salvation through service and obedience. Roman 8 talks about life through the Spirit. I can choose to live by my flesh, or I can choose to live by the Spirit. Every day and in every decision, 
Romans 8 says, those who live according to the flesh have the mindset set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance to the Spirit have their mindset on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. So it really boils down to two choices, living by the Spirit or living by the flesh. Here's just one example. There's multiple sins that could uh, fill this gap. But when I choose to gossip, I am choosing my flesh over the life of the Spirit. I am choosing me over Christ. I am choosing my authority over Christ's authority. But what's the opposite of that? But to live by the Spirit means I come under the authority of Christ. There is an umbrella over me, and it's Christ. I live in submission to him and obedience. Good things happen when we obey his commands. Change happens when we obey. The process of sanctification happens when we obey. This is how we work out our salvation, through a wonderful but hard, yet difficult, yet glorious life. And it's a life-changing, and it's life-purifying, and it's called obedience. Obedience frees us to experience God's blessing. It takes ourself and our will out of the way so we can enjoy God's will. And when we take steps of obedience and faith, we start reaping the blessings of a new life. Working out our salvation and obedience is not in place of God's grace. His grace <clears throat> is a gift that we cannot earn. Here is a saying that helped me understand this by Dallas Willard. Grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude. Effort is an action. And today we are talking about putting our faith in God into action. Faith without works is dead. When my mind is renewed by the washing of the word, I can have the mind of Christ, which allows me, by his grace, to love others, to sacrificially serve others, and to love the, my God, to love God with my heart, my soul, my mind, and my strength. Last Sunday, Bill and Matt spoke on loving the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Evan has just shown us how, who our neighbor is and how we can love them. I've tried to show you how we can love our neighbor by serving sacrificially. As we love the Lord our God, Again, with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, it frees us to serve and obey. Serving and obedience do not leave us empty and drained. Rather, they leave us fulfilled. They bring fulfillment, contentment, satisfaction, joy, happiness. It gives us purpose to our life. 
What does the opposite look like? When we don't love holy, and when we walk in disobedience, we are left with the same struggles as this world. Anxiety, jealousy, insecurity, depression. That's just to name a few. So as we look at the start of 2023, my prayer for this church is we understand the yearning Christ has for us. We read it earlier in Matthew. Jesus wants to gather his children. That's you and it's me. He wants to gather his children as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and know the deep love Jesus has for us. His love is so deep that he gave the ultimate sacrifice, which was his life. This causes us to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And when we understand that, submission and obedience to Christ frees us to experience him more. We can better understand how his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Come unto me, Jesus said, and I will give you rest. So let's give up our striving. Let's come in obedience and we can find rest. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, when we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Lord, that is our prayer. Thank you for your love for us and thank you for this day. We love you and I just pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. So that will conclude our service. Um, if you've got any questions, you can uh, see Matt in the back. Um, but have a blessed day and go in peace and rest in the Lord's love for each one of you. Thank you.